You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Untamable, recorded on February the 26th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. So how many of you growing up remember these two sayings? I am rubber, you are glue. Your words bounce off me and they stick to you. That's right. Or, or how about this one? This one's classic. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words or names will never hurt me. That's right. Listen, personally, I have personally been hit with sticks by people who have intended me great harm. Now, I know many of you are probably very surprised after meeting me and hanging out with me that someone would do such a thing. But don't worry, don't worry. None of those things actually broke my bones. I'd be hard-pressed to show you any of the marks that I actually have from any of those battles when I was younger. And I don't actually remember anyone pelting me with stones. But I do remember being pelted with some words growing up. I do remember being hit with some, some stones that came from the mouth. And many of those, many of those did stick to me. Many of those did hurt, and they have had lasting effects, and I'm sure the same is true for each and every one of us here. And before you start to feel bad for me, trust me, I remember hurling many stones in the form of words towards many people made in God's image and likeness myself throughout my entire life, which I am not proud of. And see, this, this should not surprise us, right? Because we live in a world of words. We live in a world where, in the way we choose to use words and in the manner that we do so, uh, speaks greatly. Which is why James, if you remember in chapter 1, he said this, that we should be quick to hear and we should be slow to speak. And he also said this, he said that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. So, so James kind of set us up for this chapter you know, a few sermons back. And he's going to deal with this, this subject of the tongue in great detail tonight. See, our words and the things that we say reveal our heart. And, and they're an indicator of our genuine faith that works, or they're an indicator of the faith that we do not have. So let's jump into the text this moment, this t- today, and let's see what God has for us. James 3, 1 through 2. Uh, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. See, we we see that the tongue is small, but it is mighty, and it directs one's life, according to this text. And we start off with this warning. And the warning is this, that not many of you should be teachers, because you'll be judged more strictly for the things that you say. See, teachers, we have an impact, a great potential to do exponential harm and damage to the church as we lead. The preaching and the teaching that comes from those who have been called to preach and to teach are to build up the church into love and to good works. But we can, we can harm the church 
by, by doing many things, by leading God's people astray, by denying or obscuring or even twisting the truth or using the Bible to, to demean and beat down God's sheep. And, and that should cause us to tremble. Because here's the thing, that's why we must anchor ourselves to the Bible. We must anchor ourselves to the Bible, to the Word of God. We absolutely must not teach what we think it says. We must teach what it says. We, we don't get to make up what the Bible says. It says what it says, and that's what we get to do, is we get to declare the truth that is. Jesus himself has said this. He said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. Now, see, this should cause each and every one of us to tremble because this warning goes out to all, not just teachers. However, teachers, they'll be judged more strictly and this is why we must keep a tight rein on our speech. Although none of us will do this perfectly, right? Which is why James is quick to point out. I love that he says we all stumble in many ways. How many of us have been out for a walk in the woods or even on some flat pavement and we have stumbled and we have tripped? That's happened to every one of us. There doesn't even have to be a crack in the sidewalk and we can stumble and we can trip. And James is saying we do the same thing. We slip and we stumble at some point in our life in everything that we've said. And so, who here has never sinned with his or her tongue? Anyone? Anyone? No, I didn't think so. Any perfect men or women here today? Anybody? Yeah, see, I didn't think so. And, and this is not one standing here. See, here's the deal. I knew none of you were perfect, and it's not because, you know, I don't think you're great people, but only because Christ is perfect in everything that he has ever said. He's the only one who is sinless. And so we come here as broken people who have said many things we ought not say, and we humble ourselves, hopefully, before the Word of God, and we ask Him to change us. And James knows this. James knows he's not a perfect man. And that's why he throws himself right into the mess with all of us when he says this. We all stumble in many ways. See, the tongue is small, but it is mighty. Which is why James is saying, in a sense, it's like he's a doctor. And he's saying, all right, open up. Say, ah, stick out your tongue. We're going to give you a check. We're going to see how you're doing. You need a good exam because here's the deal, church. We all need to see and understand things about our tongues that we don't know apart from the Word of God teaching us. And to do this, James is actually going to give us two illustrations here. He uses horses and he uses ships. So look together with me uh, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, or at least the first portion of 5. He says this, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will, the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Okay, confession time. I don't like horses. And I know that can get me a lot of trouble in Armstrong County, particularly near the Dayton Fair area. But here's the deal. Before you all get mad at me and want to pick up stones or hit me with sticks, I, I think they're beautiful. Horses are amazing. They're majestic. The things that they're able to do and all that, I am in awe. And God had created them. I think they're beautiful. I just don't like to ride them. I don't like to be near them because I've attempted to ride three of them. And on all three occasions, I got off much quicker than I got on. And it was not because I was done riding. 
It was because they were done having me on them. And so I come crashing down. And, and see, this was problematic because growing up, I had a neighbor, and guess what he had? He had horses. And I like to hang out with my neighbor because he was a good man, and his grandson was around my age. So I used to go over there, and, and there was this one time, this one summer, where my buddy was trying to break in this colt. And in, to do so, he takes it, and he's leading it around the ring, and he's walking it around the ring. And all of a sudden, this horse jets off like it just got struck by lightning. Now, my friend, who is young, he's strong, and he's, he's you know, full of might, he doesn't let go of the actual strap. No, he hangs on for dear life, and this horse is just dragging him around. And all of a sudden, his granddad opens the door, and and this thing starts running out. And the only reason my friend ever let go of that strap was because he got drugged through two dog boxes. And he let go. He let go, and he stood up, and he picked some gravel out of himself, and he's not looking well. And he walks over to the horse, and he does what you do to horses that do these type of things when you're a farmer— And he gets that horse's attention, but listen, here's the thing. My friend, he was a fool that day, but he was bound and determined to break this horse, and he did. So that summer, he kept working with this horse. He kept working with his horse. And by the end of that summer, man, that horse, or at least in a reasonable time frame, that horse was broke. And he was able to lead that horse. And part of this breaking down process or this training process actually required that they use what's called a bit, which is just a small piece of metal that goes into the horse's mouth. And what this device does is it actually allows the rider to control this behemoth of an animal. It it actually allows the rider to direct where the horse goes and, and not where you know, the, the horse is trying to go. Because if you didn't have that and he wanted to take off, he could do that. But he, he directs them, and he leads them. And, and he's controlled by something so small as a bit. You know, in this first illustration, uh, it works, right? I get that. I've been around horses. But James then uses this next illustration of ships, which I, I find it interesting. And I'm looking at that. I have not spent a lot of time on ships growing up in western PA. But I looked up on Google and I start to see that a rudder actually works in the same manner as a bit upon a ship. The ship's huge. The rudder is small. And it actually directs it. And, and, and we... When we think of that, it's amazing because some ships actually have, you know, they have planes, they have jets, they have people. They're the size of cities on the ocean, and yet they are directed and they are moved by something so small as a rudder. And James is saying the same thing about our tongue. It is small and it is mighty and it directs one's life. Look at the first part of verse 5 where it says, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So get this. Just like horses and ships that are guided and directed by something so small, James is saying, so are you and I. And that small member is our tongue. And we can either work to to cause it to direct it, right, and, and to control it, or it will control and direct our lives. And I know that we could all look back through our lives and we could see things that we have said or things that we should not have said that have changed the direction of each and every one of our lives. Some for good, no doubt. But many times, I'm guessing it's not the norm. I'm guessing many times we've said things that we wish we would not have. And that is not good. Which is why James goes to the next point. Right, and follow along with me in uh, 
chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, where he, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, set on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell, James says. So the second point is the tongue is small, but it has the potential for great destruction. James says the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. What what does that mean, James? Well, if you've ever had the opportunity to travel to California, you would know this. You, if you've ever been to California, you would understand how it is they're able to have such massive fires. Man, everything there is dry. It is dead dry. I was there one time and I got to thinking, I can understand how they have such huge fires that ruin homes and and places. You you could just picture that someday someone's driving down the road and they they just carelessly flick a cigarette butt and it goes out and it lands and you got this this small spark that does tons of damage, that it ravages through forests, it ravages through homes, and they can't get it under control many times for days, possibly even weeks. And this was started with something so small. And this one act of carelessness has the potential to do a ton of damage. And that's exactly what James is saying about our tongue. Look at verse 6. It is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue has the capacity for evil like no other part of the body. To the point that it actually stains the whole body. And we know this, right? We know this because Jesus himself says what comes out of the mouth is what defiles someone. And then we hear the pleasant, delightful description in the book of Romans when it says that their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp, or, or you could say poisonous snake, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And so from birth... Until our burial, we see that the tongue is setting on fire the entire course of our life. And we've all felt its scorching effects, I'm sure. And we've all torched people with it in our own lives. That's what James is trying to teach us. And just like this careless person who flicks the cigarette butt out the window, you and I have said careless things in our life. We have spoken harsh words that can never be taken back. And they can, and they have caused great hurt, potentially destroying many lives. And this is sad. And we've all said things to our parents, to our children, to our spouses, to our friends, to those we love, to our neighbors, to those in the church. And the list goes on and on and on. We've all set people ablaze with our tongue. We've all said things through gossip that we should not have. We've all listened to gossip. We've all scorched people with some slander. And we've all spoken falsely statements about people that have ruined different people's reputations. We're all guilty. And, And we can all think of relationships that have been destroyed in our lives by one little spark that has set this whole thing ablaze. Sometimes these words come through our fingertips even. On Facebook, right? It's not just the tongue. It's communication. It could happen through text. It could happen through email. Private messages. How about Twitter? And this ought not be, church. That's exactly what James is saying. Who or what throws on the fuel to this destruction, though? That's the question. Look at the end of verse 6 to see where this chaos gets its fuel and its motivation. It says this, 
It says how something so small can cause this destruction. It says, well, it comes straight from the pit of hell. That's why. This is the fuel that's going on. Remember, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but many times in our words it wouldn't look that way, now would it? Many times we forget that, that we do have an enemy. His name is Satan and his demonic host, but yet we take it out on the people that are made in God's image. And this ought not be, because do we forget that we have an enemy? He is a roaring lion. He is seeking to devour someone. And many times, many times he's devouring through relationships, through our tongue and the words that flow from it. He seeks to divide families. He seeks to divide husband and wife. He seeks to divide friends. And he seeks to divide churches. Make no mistake about that. And he does that through the willful disobedience of the tongue when we choose to sin. And we may think it's a little thing, but James James is saying, yeah, it's a little thing, but it has potential for huge ramifications. It is very destructive. See, the, the book of James is a lot like the book of Proverbs. In the New, in, it's like the book of Proverbs for the New Testament, in a sense. And we shouldn't be surprised that the book of Proverbs has many things to say about the tongue and how we use it. So here are a few different things. How about chattering? How about chattering? Proverbs 18, 6-7 says this, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Or how about lying? Proverbs 12:9 says this, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Or how about boasting, right? Proverbs 18:12 says, before destruction a man's heart is haughty. Or how about gossip? Proverbs 10:18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander, he is a fool. Man, the Bible is very clear. It has so much more to say on this topic. And so if you want, jump into Proverbs. Read one a day. Ask the Word of God to read your mail and to change you and to give you wisdom so that you may know how to walk with it. Now, now listen, the things that we say can inflict great pain. And how many ignorant and foolish and vain things have come from our lips and the things that we have said in and through our lives? And we see that our tongues are small, but they are satanic apart from God's grace. And in church, Satan is the father of lies. And when we use our tongues to tear others down, we're acting like his children. And James is saying, no more. He's saying, quit. And, and this should not be, because James continues, and to teach us this, he takes us on some National Geographic expedition in these next few verses, which is very comical in a sense. So look with me in verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. He says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, we have all witnessed people train their pets to do amazing things. I watch, I watch America's Funniest Home Videos, and I'm like, man, it is amazing what people can do. You and I have probably all seen or, or have witnessed live or on television an elephant do amazing feats. And you're like, how do they even get these things to do that? Or how about Shamu, a killer whale? They throw him in a big pool. He gets to jump up and do all these fun things. Man can do some amazing things. Things. Women can do some amazing things. Now, I had a dog. 
I was never able to train him to do anything, so I don't even know if this is for me. But the point remains the same. As humans, we're able to accomplish a ton of things. And James is saying, and this is laughable, but you're not able to tame the tongue, which is such a small thing. You could make a hippo do something, but you can't tame your tongue. Now, don't miss the point here, or you will miss exactly what James is teaching us in these verses. James is not giving us the five-step program to have the best tongue so you can have the best life now. He's not saying that. He's not giving you five things to do so you can tame the tongue. No. He is saying, he is saying listen, the complete opposite of that. Look at what he says. He says, we have absolutely zero chance of taming this thing called the tongue. He's saying it's impossible. Doesn't that seem like bad news? Doesn't that seem like, and it is bad news, by the way, because it is a restless evil full of deadly poison, and he's saying you have no chance to tame it. He's saying that there's no amount of Dawn liquid soap, there's no amount of vinegar that is going to clean this sucker up. We need something else. James is not talking about reforming this nasty forked tongue. No, no human being can tame the tongue. That's exactly what it says. And that thought alone can be demoralizing. But if we think about it, it shouldn't be surprising to us. How many times have you and I said, I promise I will never say that again? Only for a week later or ten minutes, whichever might come first. And we say it again. This, not, this should not be. This should not be. James is going to teach us the reason that we cannot tame the tongue. He's going to teach us that the tongue is just revealing what's going on within the heart. And in the end, really, we don't have a tongue problem, although it is a problem. We have a heart problem, which is why James continues in verse 9 and 10. He says this, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. So the tongue is revealing and has the power of death and life in it. See, James is, is saying that we got some real problems here, and they go way deeper than the tongue. To expose us, he gives us this cutting sentence in verse 9. He says, and I want to read it again just so that we can feel the weight of it. He says this, with it... We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in His likeness. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Right? You're on the way home from church, and you got the windows down. It's a nice day, and you're heading to Walmart, and your favorite jam comes on, and you start singing, and you're like, holy, 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 right? And everything is just about to reach this crescendo moment. Someone pulls in right in front of you, takes your spot. They should have known it was your spot. You had your turn signal on, and you start singing some different rendition of holy, holy. You start singing holy, holy, and it's followed by some explicitives, and you got your windows down because you want to hear them hear you sing this beautiful song and 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 you just drive away slow you give them the one finger wave and then they see the jesus fish on the back of the car and the harvest community sticker and 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 they're like whoa now there is the love of christ (laughs) been there don't answer don't answer i know you have because we have all been there in the heat of the moment. Now listen, it may look different, yes. But sinning with our tongue is true for all of us. And, and if you're thinking, that's not me. 
Listen, if we were able to play the footage of your life from the day you were born up until now, how many would want to stick around for this movie? Would you want to order up some popcorn and invite your friends over? I don't think you would. I, don't, I know I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't. See, we're all guilty. Blaise Pascal, this, this French mathematician, he says this. Listen to what he says. He says, few friendships would survive if each one knew what his friend says of him behind his back. Man, brothers and sisters, James is saying, this ought not be. This ought not be. This is revealing an area of our lives that needs some serious, sanctifying work done by the Holy Spirit. This type of behavior is sinful. But that doesn't even touch the severity of what James is really saying. See, this blessing and cursing is really at polar opposites and ends of the spectrum. James, in a sense, is saying that we talk out both sides of our mouths when we do this. right? We are blessing and praising our Lord, and with the same mouth we are demoralizing and cutting down those who are made in his image and by the way this cursing it goes much worse than cussing now now i'm not saying that we should swear or cuss we should not i think the bible is very clear on that but that's not what he's saying here church we must be on guard against being critical of people saying unfair things in the heat of the battle, giving in to the temptation to gossip or entertain gossip from others, to cut people down with our tongues in slander because our words have great power and they cause great harm. And I, you know, when I think of this, I always envision the picture of this. There's this, this picture, if you've ever w- witnessed it or seen it on, uh, on your computer, of this mom, I presume, where she's, she's just like ugly words are coming out in the form of a mouth, and they're going on top of this little girl's head, which I presume is her daughter, and her tears are just falling down her eyes. That's what James is saying. That's what I picture. Our words cause great harm. Christian, these things are, are horrible. And, and, and I guarantee each and every one of us has been on every side of that. The ones giving, the ones receiving, none of us here are without sin. But James is saying this ought not be. But even this, what I'm talking about, doesn't get to the heart of the evil that he's talking about. This cursing that is being mentioned here is much greater. It's actually wishing a person to be cut off from God and sent to hell with no chance to ever be in his presence. That's what he's saying. Now, before we get to thinking that this could never, well, I would never do that. I'd, I'd never do that. I hope that's true. But man, as I was, as I was preparing this sermon, and as I was praying, I, I, I got to see this, this email uh, on, online. And, and in it, in it, there's this, this picture of these people that my family had been reaching out to. And i got to tell you, in this news story, in this article, there were some great tragedies. Some heinous sins committed against some children and, um, by, their, by the ones who were cared to and trust and to love them. And as I see that, my heart, i got to confess, I was angry. I was hurt And I was filled with anger and rage. And in that moment, had it not been for God's grace, I would have wished them to hell. I would have stood in line and helped maybe send them there. And I'm not proud of that. But James is saying, listen, be careful. Be on guard. And and I do thank God that His grace did show up in that moment. And and that I did stop 
my tongue, although my heart showed some areas that I need the Lord to continue to work in me and to conform me into His image and to well up in me grace and love. And, and I got to thinking as I sat there and started to think about how far these people had fallen from this image, how fractured they were, and yet they were still made in His image. And as I was filled with sadness, I began to think of the gospel and the grace that has saved me in my own life. And as I began to think about my own depravity and the fact that that God had saved me, well, I started to think I I should pray. (laughs) And I thanked the Holy Spirit for that because He had saved me. And so I began to pray for these children. I began to pray for their little hearts and their little minds that God would take this moment of tragedy and this disgusting, wicked evil and that he'd bring, he'd bring beauty from the ashes. He'd do a good work. And, and eventually I was, I was able to pray for the parents. I was able to pray that, yes, they would receive proper and swift judgment in the courts. And they will, 30 years or more. But then I prayed that they would come to know the good news of Jesus Christ that died to save sinners just like them and just like me. And that they would put their faith and trust in the Lord and that they would receive forgiveness for their sins. That they would see that Jesus has taken their punishment upon the cross if they will trust and believe in that good news. And I take no credit because left to my own device, trust me, that would not have been my prayer. But thanks to the Spirit... It was. And, and that really segues into the next portion. Look at what James says in, in verses 11 and 12. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? To bless God and to curse people made in his image is really problematic because it exposes our main problem, which is our heart. To say that we love God and to understand the depths of the gospel in which Jesus has saved us for no other reason than he delights to save sinners and then to wish other fractured sinners that they'd be off to hell and away from his presence should not be compatible in the same human. It's exactly what James is saying. The two are incompatible. They ought not be. And the point of the tree or the plant, the the point is this. No tree or plant can produce fruit that belongs to a different tree or plant. The same is true for water. Water that comes from the purest of springs cannot produce sewage and still be pure. In the same way, our tongues, which are full of deadly poison and evil since the fall of mankind, cannot produce good on their own. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty three through 35 He says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings evil. And what James and what Jesus is now saying is clear, that to praise God with our tongues and to speak evil against those made in His image shows what our hearts are really like. And here's the tough question. Here's the question, though. If no human being can tame the tongue, how do we respond 
James, you just said no one can tame this tongue. Well, we've got to remember, Christian, that what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. It's not even a thing for him. He can do it. Those who trust in Jesus for their salvation, they have a faith. And that faith, it works. Yes, in Christ, we get the forgiveness of our sins, including all the things that we have said throughout our life and the things that we will say with this nasty, evil little tongue. But, But that is really just the beginning for the Christian. Because in Christ... You and I, we have a helper. Now we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who is life. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you, well, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your body. He will give life to you, and and through His Spirit who dwells in all who believes, we will have life. He does a clean-up work in and through us. He cleans our heart, and then our mouths speak. Listen, we don't need our five steps to having a better tongue in our best life now. No, what we don't need to do is reform this evil little sucker. What we need is a resurrected Savior and a resurrected heart, which leads to a resurrected tongue and speech. One that starts to praise Him, and then and only then will our tongue be changed by His power, by the cooperation of us laying down our lives and trusting in Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do this work in and through us, through repentance and through faith. Remember that James himself has said that we all stumble in many ways. We're not talking about perfection. James said we all stumble in many ways, but we should see progress church. That's exactly what James is teaching us. We should certainly see and hear a difference in the life of a believer because the faith that saves is a faith that works. And it works on the tongue. It works on our speech. It works. Listen to what Proverbs 18.21 says. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. So get this, We have discussed the the venom and the nastiness and the ugly that comes from the tongue, which is death. We've discussed that. Yet we see here, man, there is life in the tongue. There is life that can come from this tongue. And, And listen, as his ambassadors, as those who get to represent King Jesus, man, that's what we want. That's what we want, church, because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word through about Christ. So, so if you come to know Jesus, it's because someone has opened their mouth and loosened their tongue and spoke words to you. And God has given you faith and you've trusted in him. Someone had to say that, though. Someone had to speak that. And, and listen, here's the deal. Someone had to speak about the glorious God that we get to worship. Someone had to also tell you that you and I have greatly sinned against Him and that we are in great rebellion against Him and that we are under His wrath and that He has every reason and every right to crush us under the weight of this wrath. And they didn't stop there, though. But they said, but God, but God in His kindness and in His mercy, He has made a way through Jesus, through the blood of Christ, you can receive forgiveness. He has said, listen, He has chosen to crush His Son instead of you. Put your faith and trust in Him. Someone had to do that. And because of this, listen, the grave could not hold Him because He is and was perfect. He lived the perfect life. He died the death you and I deserve to die. He did go to the grave, but He rose eternally triumphant. 
defeating Satan, sin, and death, and those who trust and believe Him get a resurrected heart and a resurrected life and a resurrected tongue that will sing of His glories. And for those people, His people, God's people, listen, now we get to bless, not curse. We get to be able to speak life-giving news to a world that so desperately needs it and not hate. Oh man, we get to use words that build up into love and to good works. Words that, you've, that give grace and not tear down. So you and I, by God's kindness and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we get to pray. We get to preach and share good news. We get to bring healing to a world that is hurting to a world that is in serious sin and under the wrath of God and apart from His saving work, that is where they will remain. And so God gives us everything we need to engage in this battle with our tongues, with our words. And see, none of us, none of us have a right to be able to say, I'm, I'm fully grown, I'm sanctified in my tongue. We all have room to grow, right? I know I do. So as we think of the areas that we need God to transform our hearts and our lives, we need to continue to trust Him. And we need to use our tongues to confess. To confess our sins. So the question is, what do you need to confess today? What do you need to ask God to do a transforming and changing work in your life? Is it anger? Do you blow up with people? Do you blow up with those people in your home? Do you use your tongue to cut them down? To set them on fire? Do you you demean them? Do you tear them down? How about slander and gossip and boasting and lying? What is it? I don't know what it is. But I know this. Every one of us has room to grow. Every one of us has something we need to be asking God to forgive us and to change us by the power of His Holy Spirit and by His grace. And listen. Listen. As you confess, as you see these things in these areas that need to be changed. Oh, you don't need to fear, Christian. Man, He delights in you. You can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive mercy in your time of need. See, because here's this. As we confess our sins, we remember that He is faithful and He is just. He is a good high priest and He will forgive us all of our sins. And not only that, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and He will. He is so committed to changing us into the image of His Son from one degree to another He's committed to you. And so this is not a scary thing to go before your father and confess what he already knows. And he will give you grace. And he will draw near to you. And he will give you the grace you need to change. See, it's texts like this that just show us the depth of our sin. That show us the pollution that is still within our heart. But it also gives us hope because there is transforming grace available to all his children. And so we thank the Lord for that. See, we need a Savior. And in Jesus, we have a mighty one. We have a mighty Savior. And if He is able to bring us from death to life, then He is certainly able to transform our tongues to preach and to praise to bring Him glory. And we must draw near to Him, and we must use our tongues to taste and see that the Lord is good. And as that happens, as we do that, listen, we can then be a church that encourages and that exhorts, that, that builds people up instead of tearing them down. And that, my friends, when that happens, when that happens, God will use this church 
to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Because who doesn't need encouraged? Who doesn't need exhorted to continue on in their race? So let's ask the Lord to do this work in and through us for His glory. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.